Now, recently, I wanted to give my almost three-year-old daughter a very essential education. She needed to see the greatest Disney movie of all time, which, of course, is Disney's Aladdin. So I decided to make a, a movie theater night. I dimmed the lights, I made some popcorn, I set up the couch area, and we had to fast forward a few scary parts, but all in all, Daisy loved it. And in the month that's gone by since then, she has asked for a movie theater every single night. And so what we've been doing is, we don't do a whole movie, but we just uh, show some song clips, usually from Aladdin, uh, but also from what is the second greatest Disney movie of all time, which is, of course, The Lion King. And so we've been watching these movies constantly, and I have, I have watched Aladdin and The Lion King so many times in my life. But did you know that there is a sequel to both of those movies? There's a movie called The Return of Jafar, and I have no idea uh, what that movie's about. I can't tell you anything really about the plot. Um, and there's also a Lion King too. I can't tell you anything about it. I have never seen those movies. Now, it's kind of fascinating to me how I've known Aladdin and Lion King for about 25 years but I have no idea what happens in the sequels. And I want to ask you, would you be surprised to know that the Gospels of Jesus also have a sequel? Most of us, I believe, are like me when it comes to Aladdin. You know the story of Jesus fairly well. You know he was born to Mary and Joseph. He taught some parables, did some miracles, died on the cross, rose again, and uh, you know that story fairly well. But you're really not as familiar with what happens after that. What happens to Jesus after Easter Sunday? Um, And I I think I want to communicate to you this morning that there is a Jesus too. There is a sequel, so to speak. The Gospels, the stories of Jesus in the Bible, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's the story most of us are familiar with. But the Gospel writer Luke actually wrote a second volume called the Book of Acts. And he's been writing to a man named Theophilus. Kind of a funny name. Uh, means lover of God, but we don't know uh, really much about this man other than that. And Luke is writing to him. He wrote Luke uh, first, the Gospel of Luke, and then he writes the second volume, the book of Acts. And I want to show you how it begins. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Look at that. Notice he says, began to do and teach. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus just began. The cross and the resurrection are not the end of Jesus' story. They're only just the beginning. Jesus Christ was just getting started. And he has continued to work and is continuing to work now in people's lives all over the globe. He's still active and speaking today. And this whole sermon series is about what Jesus is doing now. And so the book of Acts and really the rest of the New Testament, they're about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. In fact, N.T. Wright has suggested that we call the book of Acts the Acts of Jesus too. It's the sequel to what has happened before. And so right after Easter, right after the resurrection, there is a 40-day period uh, where Jesus has a few things to do before he's going to ascend to heaven. And so this is the first part of the sequel, and it's really important. Because Jesus was and is on a mission to seek and save the lost. He is on a mission to save the whole world and to spread his message everywhere. And so the first thing he did was to equip his team of disciples for this grand global mission. And I've kind of summed up what Jesus did after the resurrection in this 40-day period 
in one simple sentence that rhymes so that you'll hopefully internalize it and you'll take it with you. And it's this. Jesus equipped his team in order to accomplish his global dream. Jesus equipped his team in order to accomplish his global dream. If you have your Bibles with you this, uh, at home, I, I invite you to open that up with me to the book of Acts, the sequel. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Or you can open up in your phone or your browser and follow along that way also. But after Jesus rose from the dead, there were, I believe, three main things that he did in order to equip his team of disciples for their mission before Jesus ascended to heaven. And the first thing that Jesus did to equip, equip them was this. Jesus taught his disciples how to preach the gospel according to the Bible. Jesus taught his disciples how to preach the gospel according to the Bible. Now, Luke begins by saying, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now, what kind of instructions did Jesus give? Let's look at what verse 3 says. It says he, if we can go over to our next slide, it says Luke gave him instructions through the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 3, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, if you know the Gospels, that phrase should remind you of something. I love how consistent Jesus is. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. And if you could boil down the message that Jesus was giving when he, in his earthly ministry, it was simply, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. This was Jesus's essential message. Now, what you need to understand is that the Jewish people uh, were awaiting for God to send the Messiah, the king of the people who would reestablish God's kingdom in the earth. And Jesus proclaimed that he was this Messiah, that he was the rightful king, and that his kingdom, God's kingdom, was now surprisingly being launched in and through the movement of Jesus. And those who wanted to be a part of God's kingdom, surprisingly, could not rely upon their Jewish ethnic heritage. No, the kingdom was now open to Jews and Gentiles, the whole world, by, and by, they could enter into this kingdom by becoming Jesus' disciple. And so this was the good news that Jesus was teaching his disciples to spread throughout the whole world. And the news basically was that Jesus, by his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, and his ascension, he was now the world's rightful king. And now he invites the whole world to enter his kingdom by repenting of their sin, receiving his grace, and becoming his disciple. And one day he will come again to judge the whole world and to set every wrong right. This was the essential message that the early church was spreading all throughout the New Testament. And you will see this gospel come up over and over again in every letter. But Jesus, the problem was, Jesus' Jewish disciples had a hard time at first wrapping their minds around this because it was, it was so unexpected. It was, it was sh so shocking to what they uh, initially believed. Because they fully expected that the Messiah, the king, would be a human king who would restore the kingdom, the political kingdom of Israel, to be a world superpower in the, uh, in the world. They wanted to make their nation one of the greatest, and they thought it would happen by a real human king. And so this is why in Acts 1, 6, it says, They gathered around Jesus, the disciples, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time 
going to restore the kingdom to Israel. They wanted the kingdom of Israel, the political kingdom, restored. You see, the disciples did not at first understand the gospel or even the, or own, their own Bible well enough. And so Jesus had to te- teach them what the gospel meant and how the Bible needed to be understood in light of what just happened in Jesus in his death, resurrection, and ascension. And so this is really the main part of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And we learn about these instructions from Luke's first volume, the Gospel of Luke. And if you remember the the story, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, he meets two disciples along the road who don't recognize him. Uh, And he kind of asks them about what they're feeling. and And basically, these disciples are disappointed because Jesus was not the Messiah that they hoped he would be. And so look what he says to them. He says to these disciples, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now I want you to notice that it says he began with Moses. Those are the books of Moses. The the first five books of the Bible or what's called the Torah. In fact, that's what we've been reading together as a church in our Bible plan, right? So uh, this is an encouragement to you. Jesus said these books point to himself. Now we're in Leviticus. It's, it can be some hard reading, but there are, some, there are things in there that point to the message and gospel of Jesus Christ that can encourage your faith today. So stick with it. So Jesus says, that Moses and the prophets. Now, the prophets, that's really just shorthand for the rest of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And so Jesus went through it and showed how God had foretold these events in the Bible and how all of it points to Jesus as fulfilling this story in God's plan. So he explains the gospel according to the Bible. And then Jesus really repeats this same lesson with his apostles. Let's look what it says in the text. He appears to the disciples in the room and he begins with Moses and all the prophets and he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And this is to his apostles. He says to them, this is what I told you while while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus is giving the same lesson again. He wants to show them that the whole Bible now had to be read in light of what? Jesus' suffering, his resurrection, the repentance and forgiveness of sins that are now available in his name to the entire world. This is now how his disciples needed to read the Bible. And Jesus opened their minds to show how the Old Testament predicted, promised, and preached the gospel of Jesus. So when you read the New Testament, there's all kinds of Old Testament quotations and allusions. And the writers of the New Testament, they learned to do that from Jesus. It's why the church made sure that the Old Testament was included in the, in the Bible. Because Jesus taught them that this predicted and prophesied and could preach the gospel of Jesus. And then Acts chapter 2, we're going to get to soon. Uh, Peter is about to preach the first sermon recorded for the early church. And you know what he does? He quotes from the prophet Joel, and then he quotes two different psalms. And he shows how these are all being fulfilled in the message and gospel of Jesus Christ. Where do you think Peter learned to do that from? He learned it from Jesus. 
He learned how the Old Testament, how the Bible pointed to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus did this to equip his team in order to accomplish this global dream. And so he equipped them by teaching them how to preach the gospel according to the Bible. So that's the first thing Jesus did. The second thing that Jesus did is Jesus established the leadership of the early church. Jesus established the leadership of the early church. Now Luke says in verse 2 that Jesus gave instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Those are the apostles that Jesus had chosen during his earthly ministry. Uh, So Jesus is is instructing them and uh, establishing them in their leadership. And one of the first things that Jesus does is, in a different gospel, he reinstates the apostle Peter. Now, we could have a whole other sermon on this story. Uh, But if you remember the story, Peter famously denies Jesus three times in his moment of trial and suffering. And after his, his resurrection, Peter is back to his old job. He's fishing again. You know, isn't it interesting when we run away from God, we typically run to what's familiar to us. Sometimes to our familiar vices, sometimes the things that aren't good for us, but we, we run back to what brought us security and comfort before, not knowing that our security and comfort is in God himself. We don't need to be running away. And so Jesus comes to Peter and he asks Peter, uh, do you love me? And he asked Peter this three different times that line up with Peter's three denials. And Peter essentially responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus tells him in response, then feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Jesus knew that the church needs shepherds who care for the sheep. Those who will feed and take care of his flock. And that means that that pastors, that includes pastors, but includes other leaders and elders and deacons. Uh, These are all people who help shepherd God's flock. And I have to tell you that I am so thankful that our church, Faith Covenant Church, we have so many people besides me who are shepherding God's flock, God's church. We have our small group leaders who are meeting over Zoom. We have care group leaders who have stepped up for people who weren't as connected. We have our our deacons and our deacon chair, Rita Christensen, who are shepherding and checking in on people and calling our seniors at Windsor Park. You are caring for and shepherding the flock of God. And have you ever considered that when you're doing that, you are loving Jesus? It's not only an an act of love to your fellow brother or sister, it's an act of love towards your Lord. Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, take care of my sheep. So if we love the Lord, we can show our love for Jesus by caring for his sheep, making sure they are fed and nourished and cared for. It's an act of love to Jesus. So Jesus establishes Peter as a shepherd, and he's going to be a main pillar, a main leader in the early church movement. And so the disciples, they remember also how Jesus had carefully selected his 12 apostles. He had spent all night in prayer before he called them to be with him. And one of the first things the early church does is prayerfully nominate and select the apostle who's going to replace Judas who had betrayed Jesus. And so they call some people together, they nominate a couple people, and then they pray, they pray, Lord, who is it that you have called to this position? And after asking the Lord to guide them, the early church calls a man named Matthias to take the place of Judas as one of the 12 apostles. And one of the things I appreciate about our church is that we take the process very seriously of nominating leadership. 
Every year we have a nominating, nominating process where we ask, who is God calling and gifting to these different positions? And then we ask those people to pray and to discern, and it, and it takes some time because we want to be prayerful about nominating and selecting people into leadership in the church because we know this is something that mattered to Jesus Christ. So they establish the, the replacement for Judas, and then later on Jesus is going to appear to the Apostle Paul and call him to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, the one who will primarily be the missionary to take this message to the whole world. So I like how John Stott uh, sums up what's happening here. He says, It is thus emphasized that all the apostles, the twelve, Matthias and Paul, were neither self-appointed nor appointed by any human being, committee, synod, or church, but were directly and personally chosen and appointed by Jesus Christ himself. See, Jesus wanted to establish the leadership of the early church because he wanted to equip his team in order to accomplish his global dream. So that's number two. He established the leadership of the early church. Number three, Jesus proved to his disciples that he was really alive. And I think this is the most important one so far. Jesus proved to his disciples that he was really alive. You know, I think to me, one of the things that's most interesting about the Easter story, and it actually makes me believe the Bible all the more, and it's the fact that his closest followers did not initially believe that he had risen from the dead. You see, they had been with Jesus. Jesus had told them that he would die and that he would rise again. And they saw it happen before their eyes. They saw Jesus die and then they see him back to life and they still are doubting. How is that possible? Well, I think it points to the, old, the human reality that our worldviews cannot just change overnight. They don't just change in a moment. You know, there are some people today who kind of say things like, you know, well, people back in Bible times, they were, they were more primitive. They didn't have the education and science that we do. And, you know, they believed in miracles and these kinds of things. And, you know, well, of course, Jesus' disciples, they were grieving, they were shocked, and they really wanted to believe that Jesus had come back from the dead. But really, that doesn't matter whether he did or not. Jesus is just a spiritual teacher, and they just kind of believed that stuff back then. Well, the problem with that kind of thinking is that it's historically false. You see, a man rising from the dead was just as inconceivable then as it is to people today. You see, the Greco-Roman culture, the surrounding culture around them, they believed in a separation between the physical material world and the spiritual world. In fact, it was the ideal that when someone died that they were now freed from the prison of their body so that their spirit could go be in the spiritual world. So the idea that a man would rise from the dead and come back to a body was not only considered impossible, it was just considered plain dumb. That's not something that they would want to have happen. It, just, it was just stupid, really. It was absurd. You want, they wouldn't think that. And outside the Greco-Roman culture in the Jewish world, many Jews did not even believe the resur- resurrection would happen at all. And for those who did, they believed that it would happen at the end of the world and that it would happen to everybody. The idea of one person in the middle of history rising from the dead would be simply unheard of. And so the idea that Jesus and his disciples, that they simply wanted to believe this to make themselves feel better, that is absurd. Because they knew everyone around them would not even slightly believe what they were saying. And they would think they're crazy. And you wouldn't claim something that nobody would believe unless you believed 
It was absolutely true. Absolutely true. So Jesus Christ had a lot of work to do after Easter Sunday. He had to completely shatter the worldviews of his disciples. And he wanted them to believe beyond a doubt that he had really come back to life. So remember what he said last week, if you're with us, to Thomas, touch my side, see my scars, stop doubting and believe. He wanted them to believe. And so after Jesus, this is what Jesus is doing. He is appearing to people. He's speaking with people. He's even eating with people. He wants them to know that he is risen from the dead. In fact, Jesus, this is what Jesus did. He convinced them by all of these appearances that he was really alive. One of his closest apostles, the apostle John, wrote this in the gospel of John. He opened, or the, the, the first epistle of John, first John. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. That's Jesus Christ. John is saying, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him, we were there, we experienced it, we saw this, it is true. And every one of these disciples gave their lives to spread this message for no worldly gain. And tradition has it that all of the 12 apostles were martyred for this message. They gave their lives. Now, the question I want to ask you is, have you let the truth of Jesus' resurrection shatter your worldview? Have you let it really sink in? You see, I'm pressing on this a little bit because some people today like to say, well, uh, you know, Christianity works for me and maybe it'll, it'll work for you, but if something else works for you, that's okay too. You know, Christianity... It only works if it's factually true, if it really happened. If Jesus did not rise from the grave on Easter Sunday, then just forget this whole thing. But if he did rise from the dead and come back to life, if that really happened, then that changes everything. It changes our whole lives and the whole world. Friends, Luke does not say, Luke does not say to Theophilus, this is what Tim Keller says, Theophilus, you know, I want you to know that this has worked for me and, and you know, I think it might work for you too. No, Luke doesn't write that. Luke writes in, in verse three, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was really alive. You see, he wanted, he wanted the early church to know and he wants us to know that he is alive and well. Have you let Jesus Christ and his resurrection shatter your worldview? Do you really believe it? You know, it can't just work for you and and not work for others. It can't just be true for you and not true for others. He had to really rise from the dead or not. Is this true or not? And Jesus spent 40 days after Easter wanting to make absolutely sure that the early church would say without hesitation that Jesus rose from the grave. He wanted, them, he wanted them to say, we saw him. We saw him many times. It, w- it wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a hallucination. We weren't just seeing it. In fact, he appeared to many of us at the same time. He spoke to us. We, he ate with us. It was really him. We saw him. And he is now king. Will you give your life to him? Brothers and sisters, Jesus was, showed his disciples. He proved to them that he was really alive. And now I want to show you a quote from the Apostle Paul that kind of sums up the three points that we've been talking about today. And many scholars believe 
that this is one of the earliest summaries of the Christian faith that we have available to us. And I want to show you what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Remember, Jesus taught them to preach the gospel, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Let's go to the next slide, please. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, look, according to the scriptures. There's the gospel according to the Bible. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Saphos and then to the twelve. Next slide, please. After that, he appeared to, to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, you can go ask them. You can check this out. This happened. Though some of them have fallen asleep, some of them have died. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. That's the Apostle Paul writing. You see, Paul is summarizing. Jesus taught them how to preach the gospel according to the Bible, according to the scriptures. He established the leaders. He met with Peter. He met with James. He met with the Apostle Paul. And then he appeared to so many of them at the exact same time. You see, the Acts of Jesus too begins with all of these things that Jesus does right after Easter. And Jesus equipped his team in order to accomplish his global dream. And after equipping them, he is, he is about to empower them with the Holy Spirit to be sent out to reach the world with this message. And friends, now Jesus invites you to be a part of his team, to be a part of this global dream that he has for the world. And, he's at, and we can ask you, will you be a part of his team? to accomplish this global dream? Will you learn to preach the gospel according to the Bible? Will you provide leadership to the church in the area of your gifting for the shepherding and flourishing of Jesus's flock? Will you let Jesus's resurrection become a public truth, something that is true for the whole world? And will you give testimony to the fact that Jesus is really alive? Friends, Jesus has a dream to share this good news with the whole world and to save the whole world. He is really alive and he is the true king. Will you join him?